It's the end of the world as we know it, and I feel fine. That crazy starts with an earthquake, birds, snakes, and aeroplanes. Yeah. Many fruits are not afraid. I have a machine, listen to yourself, the world, but it don't need something to your own head. Beat it up and I've seen that no seats. The ladder from the platter with the fear fight down. Like fire in a fire, with the system of the gang, the government for hiring the combat site. But it wasn't coming in a hurry, but you're getting it down your neck. Welcome to the Doom and Bloom Hour with medical preparedness experts, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. Your source for information on how to succeed if everything else fails. And now, your hosts, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. This is the hour of doom. And Bloom! <laughs> hey, friends and neighbors, welcome to the Doom and Bloom Survival Medicine Hour, a restful redemption <laughs> in a riotous world. It is riotous. It is. Good call. Riots and protests and all sorts of stuff. You better believe it. I'm Joe Alton, MD, also known as Dr. Bones of doomandbloom.net, where you'll find close to 900 posts, videos, podcasts, all sorts of stuff on medical preparedness for any disaster. And I'm Amy Alton, also known as Amy. Oh, excuse me, Nurse Amy. That's right. Now we it's know hard to are. keep those names straight. That's right. I'm an advanced reg- registered nurse practitioner and a certified nurse midwife. And the hostess with the mostest, absolutely 100%. Aww. Our mission is to put a medically prepared person in every family for any disaster. Together we are the gang of two, the (laughs) dynamic duo, the perfect pair, the courageous couple. And we're here to keep you together, keep you together, help you keep it together, even if everything else falls apart. Boy, we are in trouble here. But actually, that's pretty true. Linguistically. You're trying to help keep people together. (laughs) That's true. Keep you together. Right. So it, it makes sense either way. That's true. It takes a community. That's right. And you are the watcher on the wall. And you are, too. Friends and neighbors, have you been injured in an accident with a prurient protester? Well, don't worry. You probably hurt that delicate snowflake more than they hurt you. But our attorney says, don't call him. Call Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy and listen to this. Absolutely. All the information given and opinions voiced on Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy's Survival Medicine Hour are for entertainment purposes only and do not represent medical advice for anything other than post-apocalyptic settings. No contract or provider-patient relationship exists or is implied between the host and listeners. Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy strongly urge their audience to seek modern and standard medical care whenever and wherever it is available. But in troubled times, it might not be such a bad idea to learn what to do in medical emergencies. That's just smart thinking. (laughs) <laughs> Smarter still would be to get some supplies, don't you Don't you think? I'll tell you oh, that yeah. that is key. And you know what? Maybe you should get them even from the beautiful Nurse Amy's entire line of often imitated but never equaled medical kits at store.doomandbloom.com. 
Net. You'll or, also far found them. Yes. You'll also find them at AltonFirstAid.com. That's right. Which is actually easier to remember. That's it right. It still forwards to the store.doomandbloom.net, but that's a mouthful. So if you know us as the Altons and you know we have First Aid, AltonFirstAid.com. There you go. <laughs> hey, what's new, Pussycat? Whoa, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Hey, you know, well, we... I haven't had any coffee this <laughs> morning. That's what's up. That is bad. I'm going to take a sip bad. of yours. That is bad. But you've got something to do. We learn as much from our audience out there as they do from us. So please connect with us. It is easy. And here is the lovely nurse Amy to tell you. Absolutely. You can email us anytime. Questions, comments. Let us know what you're thinking. At drbonespodcast at aol.com. You can find us on Facebook at our group, Survival Medicine, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. We have a couple of Facebook pages, Doom and Bloom and Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy Show. And we have a personal page, Joe Alton, MD, for Facebook. Don't ask. It's a long story. I'm sure you've heard it before. (laughs) I didn't want four Facebook Things, pages, whatever, whatever a lot, lot of gonna, Facebook. Pages. What are you gonna do? What are you gonna do? It's just the way it happens. One and of those you, things. you can follow us on Twitter at Prepper Show, and don't forget our YouTube channel at Dr Bones Nurse Amy. We also have another podcast all about current events. Honey, tell them the name of that. And that is American Survival Radio. If you want some honest opinions. About the current events of the day, well, you know what? Check out American Survival Radio at americansurvivalradio.com. Now broadcast also from KPJC in Salem, Oregon, Relevant News Talk Radio, and the voice of Lubbock, Texas, Radio KRFE. Thanks, guys. Hey, you know what? I need to tell you a little bit about a Zika update. You know, and the reason why I'm actually going to talk about this is because... You know what? It has not been in the news lately. And there are things that scientists won't talk about. And what baffles them, honestly, is the disparity in the number of Zika-infected brain-damaged babies in different countries. Now, that's actually a pretty impressive thing because there are about 75 countries that the World Health Organization says that Zika has been reported in, but... In Brazil, 92% of the babies that throughout the world that were have been found to have birth defects, they're all in Brazil. And not only in Brazil, the majority of them are in a particular part of, I think, northeastern Brazil. So that would seem a little strange to me. You would think that if 15% of the Zika cases were occurring in Brazil, that about 15% of the babies born there who were exposed would possibly proportionately have the birth defects. And you would think that that would carry out out into other countries like Colombia or Venezuela. Well, Venezuela, we obviously don't have much information it's on nor, so Coop, nor Cuba. It's just so with all that the, the babies that are being born from these pregnant women who got Zika have a majority of the problems. It right. just seems so unusual. Right. It seems that the risk in places like Brazil can be as high as like 13%, but in most other cases, it's 1% or maybe even less. As a matter of fact, Puerto Rico, I think, has reported just one case of microcephaly, and they've had over 30,000 cases. It's wild. So that's 
really one of the most unusual aspects of Zika virus is that Brazil has, for some reason, far and away the most cases of babies born with the birth defects. Now, if you remember, the most prominent of these is microcephaly. That's a condition where the brain fails to grow normally, and that causes a striking appearance where the head is so much, much smaller than it normally would be. In the old days, they used to call these poor kids pinheads, and they were sideshow attractions in old circuses, a terrible thing, and it is a situation where they need a lot of help in most cases. Now, Brazil has about 2,000 cases of that abnormality, but Colombia, in second place, and it, it's a neighbor of Brazil, only has 57. The U.S. is third with 31 cases, all of these from travel, of course, and that includes miscarriages. So there are, I think, about 26 cases of live babies with birth defects as a result of Zika virus in the United States proper. Now, within Brazil itself, the northeastern part of the country, as I mentioned, has the number of highest number of infants that are affected by the virus. So what's with that area? That's like, what's so weird. Well, that's what scientists are trying to figure out. And the annual meeting of the American Society of Tropical Medicine just occurred in Atlanta, and they discussed this disparity, and it fueled just a hotbed of speculation about why this is happening. Now, there was a Brazilian health official named Pedro Fernando de Costa Vanconcelos that suggested that vaccination against yellow fever, which is a virus in the same family as Zika, may actually be a factor. In the northeastern part of Brazil, mm-hmm. that vaccine is rarely given but and that is where most of the zika affected babies are so okay so that vaccine can't have anything to do with these zika babies then well that babies who are born with problems as a negative thing no but interestingly enough in the areas if if there are as many mosquitoes in the other areas of Brazil, as in the northeastern part where the majority of the microcephalic babies are, uh-huh. then it's possible that this vaccine might actually give some protection because it is against a the yellow fever virus, which is a member of the same family as the Zika virus. So could it be that a yellow fever vaccine would impart some Protection Protection. to the babies of pregnant women that have Zika, assuming that there's a similar number of mosquitoes in these uh, different areas. Right. Wow. So that is one thing. Now, There's a lot of theories. There are a lot of theories. You're right, including effects on humans by certain pesticides, one called pyroproxifen in particular that's used in the epidemic zone and perhaps contaminated lots of vaccine, you know. Vaccines, you know that in the United States, we can be pretty sure that vaccines are produced according to a certain rigorous protocol, you know, and quality control and things like that. I can't say the same thing for places like Brazil, not to insult them or anything like that. But who knows in third world countries exactly how that goes. And so who knows what people might have been given there. Now, everything we're saying about pesticides and vaccines here. Really, there's not a great deal of hard data involved that's implicated these and and a lot of the other possibilities I'm sure you've read about as part of the equation, but they shouldn't be ruled out completely. We have to have an open mind with regards to this. Absolutely. Now, another factor may be that 
there's a growing tendency of women in these areas to terminate their pregnancies in the face of a diagnosis of Zika infection. Now, that's a big controversy in the country of Brazil where terminating a pregnancy is a no-no. It's a very Catholic country, and there are a lot of other very Catholic countries in that exact same area. So so that is something people, many women will not want to admit that they terminated a pregnancy. And indeed, a, a professor named Albert Coe uh, from Yale says that he's had a great deal of difficulty tracking numbers of abortions for that reason. The fact that many, many women never really even know they had the infection, that's another, another issue that makes it difficult to track. So we have to realize that Zika has absolutely no symptoms in 80% of patients, and that is going to make the number of cases really difficult to tell is probably much more than the number of documented cases. If you think about it, if you don't have any symptoms, how are you going to, why would you go to the doctor to say, hey, do I have Zika virus? There are not a lot of people that would do that. Now, what's obvious, I have to say, is that the wide variations in the percentage of Zika infections in, in birth defects, Zika, from Zika infections to birth defects, or I think it's especially clear in Puerto Rico. Peter, Puerto Rico has, I think, one or, or maybe two cases of microcephaly in 32,000 people, though, that have been infected with Zika, including probably a couple of thousand pregnant ladies. And so why is this less than 1% result in terms of having birth defects so different from Brazil, where in some areas are, it's like 13%? Now, what do the professors say? What do the scientists say? They say they don't know. Professor Coe of Yale says that a new large-scale study is going to be done to follow thousands of pregnant women with Zika diagnoses to see if what factors like genetics or prior viral infections or even what kind of mosquito may have transmitted the disease is going to be evaluated. And hopefully with this information, there will be a more definitive picture of what really is involved in Zika-related birth abnormalities. Hopefully that information will emerge and we'll get a lot more knowledge out of this. Now, one issue that's not commonly considered is what effect a Zika infection might have long-term in apparently unaffected infants. Most of the kids born are normal in appearance, but will they reach normal milestones in walking, talking, doing those things at the appropriate time uh, down the road? Are they going to do well in school? I mean, who knows? And I'll tell you, it's going to take years and years to figure that out. Meanwhile, cases continue to accumulate, and most of them are travel-related. In the U.S. and in U.S. territories, a total of thirty more than 36,000 cases. They just updated it today. More than 36,000 cases have been documented by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Most of these in the continental United States are from people who have traveled to the epidemic zone, but almost all that are in Puerto Rico, the U.S. territory, have been locally transmitted. So it's a big issue. Down here in Florida, the Florida Department of Health says there's been 1,165 total cases, of which 228 appear to be locally transmitted, transmitted by local mosquitoes. These guys... um, are around down here quite a bit. This is a subtropical area, some parts of the country, uh, the state, 
And indeed, just in the last couple of days, there were uh, three more cases, two in Miami and one in Broward County from somebody that works in Miami. So I think it's all still related to, to Miami. Now, there is some good news. I've got to tell you that there is a vaccine that is being tested called ZPIV or Zika purified inactivated virus seems to be showing some promise in research that's being conducted. Human trials have now begun at, at Walter Reed Army Institute of Research. This is the our our good folks at the at the Army that are at the forefront here. Plus, folks at the University of Washington, a doctor named Michael Diamond, has identified an antibody that might protect the unborn fetus against the effects of the Zika virus on nervous tissue. Well, that's a miracle. So that is Anything a, that can protect the baby, even if the mom gets sick, that's the wonderful thing. I know. So hopefully they'll be doing more research on that and hopefully figuring out how to put together some kind of uh, product or some kind of to, medicine or drug that is injectable or oral that would be able to help that. So... There's a lot of fronts on the battle against Zika, but we have to remember that you may not read much about it in U.S. newspapers this winter. I mean, how many mosquitoes are there going to be? But the truth of the matter is it's still a worldwide epidemic. Don't ignore the fact that it might just be coming back in the spring in the U.S. And sure enough, in Brazil, summer is beginning to start up again as well. So we're going to see some very interesting stuff going on. Friends, have you felt the joy and satisfaction (laughs) you get from helping the elderly? Well, why not make an old man very happy by getting a copy of our brand spanking new third edition of the Survival Medicine Handbook, The Essential Guide for When Medical Help is Not on the Way, now available on Amazon. It's 700 pages, I kid you not, of all sorts of news you can use in time of, of trouble, times of trouble. I guarantee you'll be glad that you have our book in your survival library. I think that's important. I also want to mention that, you know what, we're getting close to Thanksgiving and soon after Christmas. I want you to consider checking out our awesome board game as a Christmas gift. It helps get people in that fa- in your family it may not be on the page with you in the survival mindset. The game is called Doom and Bloom Survival uh, we think it's an awesome game. Sells out every time we travel to uh, an expo, and uh, we've had a lot of people that like it. I know you'll like it too. Consider it. You can find it on our website at doomandbloom.net or store.doomandbloom.net. Speaking of Thanksgiving and soon after Christmas, a study carried out not by Yale, not by Harvard, not John Ho- Johns Hopkins, but by eBay says that Christmas shopping in stores can cause stress and heart rate effects similar to an athlete running a marathon. Well, certainly in survival, stress can have physical manifestations, but that does that also go for Christmas shopping? Oh, boy. I, mean, I bet it does. Well, you know, this is... I, I know that eBay is not exactly a hotbed of scientific research, but I can believe it, too, as a matter of fact. Christmas shopping can be ex- incredibly stressful, certainly cause anxiety, And what happens in anxiety is the stress hormone cortisol becomes elevated and the brain is unable to produce the proper amount of neurotransmitters, brain hormones like serotonin, dopamine, things like that, which tell the brain to slow down. Now, physical symptoms as a result can certainly occur. 
Uh, the most common one would be what we call tachycardia, a fast heartbeat that's seen in, in, in the eBay study. It was seen in 88% of the subjects. Now, tachycardia is uh, defined as a heart rate of more than 100 beats per minute. That is unusual because your heart should beat at a rate between, let's say, 60 and high 90s, preferably the lower the better, yes. now, uh, in, up to a certain point. Now, although well, I mean, you yeah, yeah, more than one beat a minute is <laughs> yeah. definitely a good idea. Absolutely, <laughs> but you know those athletes have. Really oh yeah, low. they have uh, four beats of forty. Uh, you know, my heart rate is usually in the seventies or eighties. You know, like an old oh, typical stop. old man. It could be much worse, believe me. Well, it could be zero. <laughs> that would be much. Wor- that would be much worse. Yeah, you do have a point there. <laughs> Absolutely. So uh, age has something to do with it, and also again, uh, other things athletic too. Right, uh, fevers, fevers can Fever. cause uh, uh, fast heartbeats. Some heart conditions, uh, hyper hyperthyroidism. If you have a high thyroid level uh, in your system, that can cause you to have fast heartbeat, and of course, anxiety will do it too. And the study suggests the rise in heartbeat is similar to that seen in athletes that are running a marathon. That's pretty impressive. Now, tachycardia, a fast heartbeat, can also cause things like dizziness. It can cause breathlessness, palpitations, fatigue, lightheadedness, fainting. It can cause all sorts of stuff. It makes you feel like you're Mm -hmm. having a heart attack. It makes you feel like um, the earth is ending, the world is ending, doom has come over us. Oh, I mean, yeah. It just it, it, Anxiety it gives terrible. you this terrible feeling, yeah, inside. Now, interestingly enough, this fast heartbeat ends up winding uh, winding up causing people to feel fatigued. And in this study, as they were shopping, they at about 32 minutes average into this study where they had heart monitors on these people, uh, people reported fatigue that they were exhausted from After doing only this. 32 just 32 minutes, minutes. which is not so, very i mean if you clean your house or you know clean all the bathrooms in your house i mean you're going to be working for more than 32 minutes change the sheets on all the right. beds i mean it doesn't take much to work 32 minutes and Certainly, you shouldn't be feeling that kind of well, stress and I guess fatigue it, after I guess what they're minutes. saying is that they found a, a, a 33% increase in heart rate. And if you're sitting there, even if you're not doing a lot of great physical, large amount of physical activity, if you're your heart rate that, is 33% yeah. faster, it, it can actually make you tired. Now there are using up energy. Exactly. I, mean, let's, let's, uh, let, I don't know if you explain the anatomy of it, but it makes sense that if your engine is running faster, that you're going to use more gasoline rather than at being at an idle. Exactly. Would be... What a great analogy. <laughs> you are a metaphor uh, maven. So maybe we should all just hang out. The in ma- I- mistress, I- the mistress of metaphors. <laughs> we should all hang out in idle. <laughs> Well, will last a lot longer. Yes. Well, I try to be as idle as I possibly can. <laughs> now, there are a lot of ways to relieve anxiety. And, of course, you should always start off with a good lifestyle, a healthy diet. Uh, and you should not go hungry. You should prevent going hungry, if at all possible, by having some energy bars around. But skip caffeinated drinks like coffee. They, indeed, will cause you to... You may feel up for a while, but then again, you're going to uh, have a resulting crash as a result later on. Mm-hmm. Now, there are 
are breathing exercises. These are also useful. Slow, deep breaths in through your mouth, out through your nose. That's a classic way to deal with anxiety. Maybe doing 10 of those might be a good thing. Uh, relaxations like yoga help also, but you might look a little strange doing that in Macy's or <laughs> some other department, or JCPenney, some other department store. Uh, of course, laughter is the best medicine, so let's, uh, of course, be of good cheer about it. You yes, know, remember, just consider, thank you. consider the absurdity of all of this Christmas shopping and all the hype and hoopla and, and the way we've forgotten so much that about the real reason for the season, you know what, and you might indeed, if you realize how absurd it is, you might feel a little better about it and take it better, a little more in stride. Now, of course, a lot of people are anxious because they don't know what to get people for a Christmas gift. And it, that's stressful. And that's ridiculous. How about asking people, what would you like for a Christmas <laughs> gift? We do that. <laughs> so what do you want? Yes. Uh, that's fine if, you know, it's, an adult child or I, you know, or just make your kids make a list or have somebody say, all right, tell me three things you might want. There you go. Well, don't that's say I'm absolutely picking from those three because you might not want to, but at least it gives right. you an idea of what somebody right. might somebody, need. Right. If somebody asks for a crack pipe, you probably don't want to. <laughs> or a Ferrari. Or, yeah. <laughs> I'm right. sorry. We'll be crossing that one off the list but it'll give you an idea you know if somebody says oh, um you know oh what do you want oh i have these three books i've been looking at well obviously this person likes books yes so it gives you a little bit of insight as to where and you might not pick one of those three books maybe you pick something they weren't even That's thinking similar, yeah. of and you surprise them with a book that they didn't even know they were going to love how about that well I, of course it's always important to get enough sleep, you don't do not want to be deprived of sleep. That's important. When your body's stressed, you need additional sleep and rest. So make sure you get a good night's sleep if you're going to go shopping the next day. That's important. And you know what? With regards to exercise, exercise is really important to relieve anxiety and stress, although it can raise your, your heart rate. But what I would say is before you go into any of the stores in the mall, just walk the length of the mall back and forth once just to have that exercise. And you may be surprised how much it relieves Although I'll your tell anxiety. You, you know what's tough is when it's so crowded and everyone has packages it's and they're all sort of moseying along because they're all fatigued right. from shopping, which you just mentioned. It's hard to get through them. It's like an obstacle course, especially when it's two people. You and I have tried to walk through a busy mall we have here at Sawgrass. Right. And it's like we're weaving. It's an obstacle course. You're weaving here, and I'm dodging there, and then we end up behind a wall of slow people, so we're yep. trying to figure out how to get around. So it's actually kind of difficult to walk at a good pace during Christmas holiday season. You might want to walk around the outside of the mall. <laughs> now, I want to say that, you know, that the American Council of Anxiety or the rather the Anxiety and Depression Association of America actually says, what are you doing in the mall? Do your shopping online a lot less stressful. I really believe that that indeed is a good idea. If you are going to go to the mall, though, you know what? Maybe you should have an iPod or a smartphone that has music on it and listen just Aww. put the earbuds in and listen to music. It could even be Christmas music or it could be music. rap music or I don't know, whatever you happen to like. 
And just, I'm not a real. I'm, I, <laughs> not, I'm, I'm not gonna be honest. I'm not just not a real rap fan. Oh uh, well, just never. There was a little bit of rap in the early '80s, but it was more '80s style. Yeah, well, I'm a big rap fan. <laughs> <laughs> Don't believe it, folks. <laughs> Christmas rap. It's that's not what true. All right. Well, whatever. In any case, bottom line. Don't stress out about Christmas shopping. You know what? We're lucky. We're still on the grid. We are not in a survival scenario right at the moment. We're maybe in a long-term survival scenario in the next few years. You know, gosh knows it's an uncertain future. But with regards to Christmas in 2016, it is the thought that counts. That's important. Many of members of your family would just appreciate, oh, I don't know, just a gift card to their favorite store with a really nice note on a Christmas card telling them how much you love them. How often do you do that? I hope you do it often enough. But if you don't, do it this time. It works for me. And it'll decrease your stress. We're going to be right back. We're going to be talking a lot about respiratory infections and the rest of the show But for now, we're going to take a short break. You're listening to the Survival Medicine Hour with that old Dr. Bones, that lovely nurse, Amy. We will be right back. Are you worried about how dangerous the world has become? In these days of terrorist attacks, natural disasters, or even a future collapse, you need to be medically prepared to keep your family safe. I'm Amy Alton, ARNP store.doomandbloom.net where you'll find an entire line of uniquely designed medical kits and supplies for when help is not on the way. For everything from individual first aid kits to the ultimate family medical bag, go to store.doomandbloom.net today. You'll be glad you did. active shooters, and worse, every school, workplace, and homestead should have the equipment necessary to save a life. The first aid bleeding control module is meant to provide the items you need to stop hemorrhage. It's compact, lightweight, and has easy-to-read waterproof instructions. If every teacher's desk, worker station, and car or truck had one, have no doubt, it would save lives. Available at store.doomandbloom.net. That's store.doomandbloom.net. And we're back. You're listening to the Survival Medicine Hour with Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy, the Altons. That's right. Hey, you know what? We want to thank all the awesome radio networks that are carrying our show, lots of different ones. The Prepper Broadcasting Network, one of our absolute favorites, the USA Emergency Broadcasting Network, Shake and Wake Radio, Survival Central, and a number of other ones that we're not even sure about. (laughs) (laughs) But thanks so much for broadcasting our show and replaying it. 
letting it be out there for people. That's, That's the right. important thing. Hey, you know, flu season is here, and some cities are reporting a number of cases already. And the Centers for Disease Control for Prevention, the director, uh, Tom Frieden, actually did a photo opportunity showing him getting the vaccine. So don't be scared to get the vaccine. If Tom Frieden can get it, you can get it, too, <laughs> if you are into vaccines. Now, this year, the injection is what's available as there appears to be some issues with the effectiveness of the nasal spray that's sometimes used. Indeed, the CDC found that it offered no protection against the flu last season for children ages 2 to 17. Wow. Which just proves, honestly, that all vaccines are not created equal. That is a real I think that's an understatement for some people. I mean, polio vaccine, probably a good idea. Uh... The influenza vaccine, well, it depends, depends. on your age group yep. and your susceptibility and your immunity status. I mean, that can be very, very dangerous for people. All right. Conventional medical wisdom says that you should get it. And, of course, a lot of people feel their own way about it. Now, we talked a little bit last week about Yes, respiratory. don't kill the messenger, folks. Yes, that's, that's right. <laughs> Is what We're here to ed- educate, not... Dictate. How's we're that? A, How's that? We're here actually to edutain. Edutain. We want to educate and entertain you. That's true. That's right. Certainly not to dictate what you should or should not do with your body when, well, we, when and if you want to. Right. That's right. Okay. <laughs> Lots so, of caveats there. <laughs> okay. Well, we talked a little bit uh, last week about respiratory infections, started talking about it. We mentioned a virus, enterovirus D68. That caused dozens of cases and a few deaths among school-aged children in 2014, the same year as the Ebola epidemic. And it's starting to pop up again this year. We talked about it last time. Now, flu season, influenza virus, that's starting up in much of the U.S. I think it's time to review the respiratory infections in general and how to deal with them. You know, even with modern medical technology, most of us can't avoid the occasional respiratory infection. That's just part of life. And <laughs> survival settings, Terrible. of course, it would be even worse. Now, without strict adherence to hand washing, respiratory hygiene, things we've talked about before, and certainly a challenge in any disaster, it would be very easy for your entire survival community to come down with colds and influenza, even pneumonia. And we're going to talk about all those things today. Now, although not all of these medical illnesses are life-threatening, they can certainly affect work efficiency, even a mild cold, at a time when everybody has to be at 100% efficiency. Now, I mentioned last week about how tough it would be just to lug a five-gallon bucket of water from the nearest water source to your house in times of trouble if you happen to have the flu. It might be hard to do it anyway, depending on where you live in the country. But the truth of the matter is, is that's what your ancestors did, and that's what you're going to have to do if things go south. Now, human illness, that involves a respiratory tract much more commonly than any other organ system. There are all sorts of germ-laden droplets that are expelled during coughs and sneezes and enter the nose, the mouth, the eyes of others. As a result, these infections are often highly contagious. Most the respiratory infections are associated with viruses, although there are a number that are bacterial in origin. That's why antibiotics are often ineffective for many respiratory conditions. 
Now, we classify respiratory conditions as being upper or lower. Upper respiratory infections involve the throat, the nasal passages, the sinuses, the voice box. Uh, lower respiratory infections usually involve the trachea, the windpipe, or the lower part of the windpipe, uh, the bronchi, which are the airways that branch out from there into the lungs and the lungs themselves. Now, upper respiratory infections are, are more common than lower respiratory infections. And the upper respiratory infections would include things like the common cold, influenza, sore throats, also known as pharyngitis, sinusitis, laryngitis. That doesn't, of course, include pneumonia, which is a definite lower respiratory infection. Now, a lot of these infections seem to have similar symptoms. Absolutely. And, you know, I just want to mention something else that's probably affecting some folks that are listening is the smoke from the fires that are happening in northern Georgia and North Carolina. We were there in Gatlinburg and many miles away, and it was absolutely horrifying to see the smoke. The right, the haze. Covering from... the mountains. We could hardly see, which is normally pretty clear for us. I know they're called Smoky Mountains, but generally they're pretty clear. And the smell was choking. You and I both had respiratory symptoms. I mean, and also sinus. Right. Eyes were itchy. Our noses were irritated. Well, the air quality was definitely was bad. terrible. Yeah. And, and that's going to probably cause people to have more of these things. You were talking about more asthma, more sinusitis, maybe more laryngitis. I mean, and if someone has a lower immunity, you know, this thing is going to, this smoke, which is filled with particles, can sit in your lungs and who knows what's going to happen. And what a terrible time of year for it to happen when all the leaves are dry. and There's a carpet and of there's leaves. A carpet of leaves is just uh, a incinerator really is worth of, of fuel for the fires. And we hope our good friends <clears throat> in North Georgia and North Carolina and South Carolina, other places. And also the firefighters. And, and the and firefighters. then they're not just paid firefighters. A lot of these rural uh, areas mm. have volunteer firefighters. My father was a volunteer firefighter when we lived out in rural Georgia. And so I know you can get a call in the middle of the night. But these guys, some of them have actually dedicated a 24-hour day, which means they're not leaving. And they are... They're on top of this as much as they can, but a lot of them are volunteers, and they're getting donations from people. I've heard them ask for lubricating eye drops. Of course, they need uh, scarves, like uh, handkerchiefs, so bandanas. they can keep those wet. Bandanas is a good thing. So these these guys need. They want also throat drops, anything that has honey in it or it's soothing to the throat, because their throats are irritated and their eyes are irritated. So it's been pretty bad. So it can just shows that it's not just infections that can cause issues with your lungs or yeah. with your upper respiratory system. It could certainly environmental. be environmental as right. well. But let's talk about infections this time around. Uh, let's start with the common cold. The most commonly seen respiratory infection <clears throat> is the common cold. It's and not it's, curable yet. <laughs> right. And responsible for more work and school days lost oh. in the U.S. than any other illness 
And the funny thing is that a cold can be caused, it's not just a particular virus, it can be caused by over 200 different viruses, many of them in what they call the rhinovirus family, not because they came from a rhinoceros, but <laughs> because that's, I think, the Greek, that's, cute, that's the Greek word for the nose, I think. Right, absolutely. Rhinos. Well, uh, we know that from all our, our medical terms. That's right. It could be Latin. No, it sounds Greek to me. All right. Well, it all it's all Greek to me. <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow, symptoms for a cold that usually appears one to three days without after exposure. You'll see nasal congestion, sore throat, coughing, sneezing, and maybe a low grade fever, muscle aches, and fatigue. And there are many symptoms that can cause simul- symptoms that many viruses that can cause symptoms like this. And certainly can be confused. Most likely is influenza, but even enterovirus D sixty eight that we talked about last week can do it. It sounds like an intestinal infection, I know. And indeed, it makes its way from the intestines into the respiratory system. Uh, but it is indeed instead a member of a family, of the same family, actually, that contains the polio virus. And so some of the major complications of that virus actually include nerve damage. Now, influenza is different from the common cold. You probably won't die as a result of getting a cold, But influenza, you know what? That's one of the great killers of modern times. And it's also been responsible for worldwide outbreaks that that have been pandemics that have been basically worldwide worldwide outbreaks of infectious disease that have killed millions of people. The Spanish flu in 1918, 100 years ago, is thought to have caused 50 to 100 million deaths around the globe. That is something else. And there have been a number of other influenza pandemics. The Russian flu in around the turn of the 20th century, uh, 1 million deaths. Uh, The Asian flu in 1957 caused a million deaths. The Hong Kong flu, a little less than that in the 60s. And the swine flu is the most recent one from 2009, 2010. That caused about 18,000 additional deaths from what is normally seen from influenza. Uh, influenza, by the way, is usually caused by a particular type of virus. Influenza type A, which is the most common, maybe type B viruses also. Uh, they're classified according to the proteins that exist on their surface. And these are called hemagglutinins, or H proteins, and neuraminidases, or N proteins. And that's why you hear Flus being referred to as H blank, N blank, H1N1, for example, is the swine flu. The Hong Kong flu was H2N2. There's actually probably about 18 different types. Uh, There's H9N7. That's a type of bird flu. There are all sorts of different uh, types of influenza virus that you'll see out there. Some of them affect mostly animals, birds perhaps, and some of them affect mostly Humans. Now, there are some of these rarely seen viruses in humans, like the bird flu, that can have a high death rate when they do affect humans. But luckily, today's influenza cases aren't usually fatal. People who do die are usually elderly, very young. Any influenza virus, however, can mutate. And remember that bird flu is almost never transmitted to humans unless they work in close contact with, say, poultry. But if the bird flu virus mutates one day to pass more easily to humans, it can become a candidate for the next great pandemic. Great. With a viral mutation, the effect of the human population depends on how different it becomes compared to last year's virus. 
When a new virus significantly changes, there's often more deaths because the community hasn't yet developed influenza or resistance to it. A good example is the high Native American mortality, the mortality among American Indians when they were first exposed to smallpox virus introduced by the first European settlers. Some areas have killed off 95% of the Native Americans in the area. So this is something that's important. Now, there are ways to determine influenza versus cold. Colds, so let's... Um, yes. How about sneezing? I was just... I had to run out of here and go sneeze. Oh, did you? Did you <laughs> I sneeze? Did. That's what I'm just, saying. As you were talking about <laughs> these infections and the... The symptoms, I'm out sneezing. Yeah, so I just finished a, a nice little sneezing fit. So well, let's, why don't you tell us? Yeah, let's talk about how you can tell the difference because it's not easy. Um, in a cold, a fever is pretty rare, or it might just be really low grade. Um, it's very common in the flu, though. That's probably one of the main things that's going to tell you that, gee, I have the flu because you've got a serious fever. Uh, yeah, it could be a very high fever, sure. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And the headache, again, maybe some sinus pressure would would be, would go along with the cold, but you're not going to have this raging, like your head's going to explode headache, which is more what you would have with the influenza. And and that relates a little bit to the fever, you know, that pain that, that is happening in your head. The uh, nasal congestion, congestion. Uh, common with the cold. Um, it's also common with the uh, influenza, but not as as often, it's, I would uh, say. People, I think, with a cold notice that as one of the main symptoms, whereas people with fevers have so many other things going on. <laughs> you, you don't know, really so notice that your, it, the, your nose the, is The nose up. is bad, but it's... But it's not the only bad thing, whereas exactly. with colds, nasal congestion might be the main issue. Right, exactly. Um, sore throat, very common with the cold because, remember, you have this post-nasal drip coming down the back of your throat. But you might not have a sore throat with the flu. So it's more common with the cold because you're thinking that you've got sinus pressure, you've got dripping, and, that, of course, that irritates your throat. So you might not have as much of a, a problem with sore throats with the influenza. The cough, uh, usually mild with the cold. You're, it's more of a cough because you have post-nasal drip. Uh, you can have a pretty severe cough with the flu. Oh, yeah. You're, you're, you're going to feel like your entire chest is rattling if it gets down in there. <clears throat> and fatigue, you know, some people can go to work or school. that You shouldn't if you're contagious. But you can function with a cold. You can get up and move around. If you have the flu, you do not want to move. And like, it happens very quickly. You've been quickly. hit by a truck. <laughs> hit by a truck. And you wake up in the morning and you might be fine. And by a little after lunchtime with the flu, you may need to go home. And someone might need to take you home because you can't walk real well. And you're foggy. And you're exhausted. So it happens pretty quickly. A cold could come on a little bit slower. You kind of know something's happening over the course of a day or two. But the flu hits you again like a Mack truck. Right. Another thing, aches and pains, uh, they're common with both. Well, it's but that, it's that a matter of degree. Truck. It's, it's a, a matter of degree. It's that Mack truck right. thing. I mean, the, the flu the will f- really 
A fever really sucks the life out of you. You can't move. Your body hurts. You're using up all your energy from burning this fever. So, again, it's like revving the engine versus being idle when we were talking about a rapid heartbeat. And the fever causes a rapid heartbeat. So, you are exhausting yourself. It's really hard to keep any energy. So, it's, it's like... It's like a walking sickness versus a I can't get out of bed sickness. I, I think would be one of the best right. ways to determine to distinguish between the two of them. And also a duration is an issue too. I mean colds usually over a week or so you get better. Influenzas can last longer and the flu can weaken you weaken you enough so that a secondary bacterial infection can set in down below in, right. in in the lungs, in the chest. right? And these these secondary infections are really the most probable cause of a death that's related to influenza cases. So if if this is starting up on you, you're going to notice that you're getting worse, not better, over time, despite doing all the right treatments. Right. So that's something. Uh, let's talk a little bit about sore throats, pharyngitis, throat inflammation due to pharyngitis is part and parcel of many respiratory syndromes. Most pharyngitis is viral in nature, but there is a common one called strep throat, and that's caused by the bacteria uh, Streptococcus pyogenes, and that's uh, also known as group A streptococcus. It can affect the throat, the tonsils, the sinuses, and the ear canal, and it can make you pretty miserable. To tell the difference between a viral sore throat and a bacterial sore throat, Put on a mask and gloves because this thing is contagious. Look at the back of the oral cavity. And strep throat actually reveals sort of swollen tonsils uh, with white spots or red spots on the back of the throat. You combine this with a a high fever and a headache in a child. In the absence of a cough or a really bad runny nose, you know what? It should give you a clue that you're dealing with a pharyngitis. Right. In these cases, you might consider, for an adult, amoxicillin 500 milligrams orally three times a day for 7 to 10 days, or Keflex 500 milligrams orally four times a day for 7 to 10 days. That would be a reasonable thing for strep throat, for uh, those who are allergic to penicillin, they can use clindamycin, 300 milligrams orally, four times a day. All of these are available in veterinary equivalents, fish antibiotics that we've talked about many times in the past, and you can find them at our website at doomandbloom.net. Uh, or not the antibiotics, but information about them. <laughs> Right. <laughs> there you go. You won't actually find the antibiotics right. there. That's right. Now, near the same area exists a structure that's known as the epiglottis. Essentially, it's a flap that keeps food from going down into the windpipe. Very protective for you, obviously. But certain viruses, bacteria, and even allergies can cause inflammation of this structure. And when it does that, it decreases the ability of air to pass into the lungs. Now, a child with epiglottitis basically an inflammation of the epiglottis, uh, can be very, very ill or could actually not be able to breathe. And, and that child has a certain look. That child tends to sit forward in an effort to get air. And you may see drooling also in this child due to the blockage that's, that's happening. Now, in the worst cases, when air is just not getting through, the swelling can be pretty life-threatening, almost as if the child had swallowed Uh, a peanut or something like that down the wrong pipe. And so this is this kind of uh, whistling kind of breathing that they have is uh, maybe 
uh, something that represents Strider, and that's uh, S-T-R-I-D-O-R, and it's a sign of a partial airway blockage. Uh, these patients, these kids need advanced care to keep the airway open, it, like call IV antibiotic. Yeah, if you, call in normal times, call nine one one. I had to do this right. for my youngest daughter. It is the scariest thing on earth. Your child is not breathing, and you could see their chest sucking in because they're trying to breathe, and the panic in a, I think she was like maybe 15 months old, just the panic in her eyes, and she just had a, a big mucus plug. She just couldn't move it out. It was so thick, and it was taking up so much space. It's very scary. you got to get them over, and it's almost as if you're doing um, the Heimlich on them. You've got to bang their backs really hard and try and loosen it up. I mean, it was scary. So she, I had got I I got her breathing before the the emergency crew showed up, but you know it's it's not something to mess around with, folks. Absolutely. You know what? We are actually out of time. I guess we're out going to have to have a respiratory infection infections part three <laughs> part next three. week. So we'll be that's what that'll be one of the things that we talk about. <laughs> we'll be talking next week about sinusitis. Laryngitis. We'll talk about croup, which is another issue that is uh, a big problem with kids. Then we'll talk about bronchitis, and we'll talk about pneumonia. So we'll have a lot of information for you that you will need to know. And I also want to give you guys an update on uh, storing medicines. Absolutely. This has been the... Survival Medicine Hour. With Amy and Joe Alton. We will... Be here next week. I hope that you will pay attention and <laughs> pay attention, darn it, and listen and be in, safe and, and healthy and listen in next week. Thanks. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. 
That's managementconcepts.com. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.